You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. The views and opinions expressed on this show do not necessarily represent those of the network, its advertisers, owners, or sponsors. Coming to you from Podcast Detroit, it's Heard, your food, beverage, and hospitality podcast. Heard is a collaboration between the Hungry Dudes, Nick Drinks, and the Detroit Optimist Society. Each week, we interview industry professionals about issues related to food, beverage, and hospitality. Please take a moment to subscribe to Heard through the Apple Podcast app, Google Play, SoundCloud, or however you subscribe to your podcasts. Write a review and let us know what you think. For additional content, including awesome videos and photos, visit HerdPodcast.com, like Heard Podcast on Facebook, and follow at Heard Podcast on Instagram. We appreciate your support and hope you enjoy this week's episode of Heard. Hello, friends, and welcome to Herd, your food, beverage, and hospitality podcast. Happy three one three day! No, could you it's be a celebration? Any less enthused? Jesus yeah. Christ! Oh, what the happy three one three guys! It, it just so happens to be I March thirteenth, and it's the area code of Detroit. Like happy three one three day. Is that like is it is it literally Detroit Day? Is that like on the calendar? Yeah, try try a little harder. Happy Detroit Day! Thank you. <laughs> God. I just know it by when McDonald's has like a promotion for something for three dollars and thirteen cents on Detroit. Yeah, because it's on the billboard. That's a thing, right? We, we actually had a really uh, accidental dorky three one three thing happen today. Okay, uh, it was actually our three hundred thirteenth batch of beer we ever brewed today. Boom! Just by oh. just out of accident. That's amazing. No I, though it gets one layer deeper when the uh, when we were mashing in the total gallons of water used to make the beer. 313 gallons. Shut the front wow. Yeah. Oh, it was actually wow. 312, and the brewer was like, oh, I'm going to just throw one. <laughs> Jesse was like, this seems like a good opportunity. Boop. Okay, cool. <laughs> right. So that's going to be a special batch, right? They're all special batches, oh, man. Fair enough. Yeah. Capital B. <laughs> a limited release special batch. How about that? Mm. So we're introduce here. everyone. In the I will Daniel introduce show. everybody. God, you're so Nick, bad at this. I will inter- Hello. Hi, Nick. <laughs> Jason. Hello. And our special guest, uh, the founder of Batch Brewing. And the feel good tap, Stephen Rogenson. Hi. Hey, how's it going? Fantastic. All right. It's 313 Day, guys. Come on. There we go. Thank yeah. You. Thank you. All right. Uh, let's talk about beer. Let's talk about these beers you brought you, and and the vessel that they're in because I love the vessel. Sure. Uh, so you guys do, uh, obviously, you probably do growlers anyway. No, we Not don't. Not at all? Yeah, no. Oh, the, the, only we, 40s. Yeah, we do 40s in lieu of a growler. So oh. the idea behind the growler was originally an important one to the growth of craft beer. You couldn't get good craft beer anywhere other than a local brewery. You couldn't go into you know a, a, a party store or a bodega and pick up you know fresh craft beer. So the idea of going to a brewery down the street and taking home a half gallon was really exciting. And people you know, uh, broke it off a little bit at a time and cherished it and drank a glass and put the cap back on and left it in their fridge. And really what they started to do was compromise the quality of mm-hmm. this fresh beer. So more times than not, when somebody gets a growler, they drink half of it. They put it in a fridge. 
three days later, they invite their, you know, their friend over to try my beer for the first time and it's flat and it's oxidized. And they're like, oh, this beer is whack. And then they don't come to my brewery. Then they come back to me with this dirty bottle and say, hey, will you put more beer in it? I'm like, fuck this now. <laughs> Do you have any idea how much care we put into making good beer? So we use 40s. They're one-time fills. You can bring them back. We'll recycle them. Uh, but we fill them right off the tap on demand. We built a, um, a great apparatus to uh, to uh, purge the bottles uh, with CO2. Um, so we can deliver, you know, the highest quality on demand, you know, product that we can, I feel better about it than using a crowler. I just think this is the best way that we can do it. Um, and besides it's a 40 and that's fun. So <laughs> all those things plus it's a 40. So where did the idea to, uh, cause initially when you guys opened, you didn't, you didn't even do t- tasters, right? You just did full. Oh yeah. That was like a revolt. Beer. Yeah, there was there, so you know there's part part of, part of you know when you know operating a business you kind of ask yourself um, what what are the conventions that are automatically assumed are going to be at a brewery and which which ones of them do you want to you know not do growlers absolutely let's not do that um, I think we we didn't sell flights you could buy a four ounce or maybe you could just you know get a taster um, like we'll pour you a, an ounce for free to taste the beer but. Doing flights was a dramatic amount of labor, mm-hmm. right? And by the time that you account for the the manpower in order to do these flights and label them and present them, you know, it you're either creating these, you know, long lines or, you know, terrible service experiences, or you have to compensate by putting another person there and all of a sudden, you know, a flight is costing really an egregious amount of money for the volume of beer that you get to consume. So it was one of those things that we tried to not do for a while until People told us they really, really wanted it. Well, on top of that is you didn't have a retail product when you launched either. You were just at the brewery, right? Yeah, and we're still mostly at the brewery. Right. I mean, yeah, the the goal has always been to grow what we're doing, uh, to distribute, to be able to you know put the batch brewing company brand out in the marketplace and and be able to see our beer in more places. But man, when we started, we were tiny. But that was the thing, though. I feel like you, you the experience you wanted to give was a full glass of delicious beer. Whereas if you go to, you know, fill in the blank uh, brewery somewhere, they might be willing to take a loss on a flight to get you to, you know, join, sign on to the brand longer term to buy it at Meyer or wherever. It's a theory in my head. I don't know. Sure. Well, and, and even beyond that for us, it was more than just, you know, sign on to drink an entire glass. It was sign on to drink an entire glass in this space, in this experience that we're creating, you know, no TVs and, uh, communal dining mm-hmm. and um, really like you're here to enjoy this experience with your friends or meet new friends. I mean, there have been two couples that have gotten married that have met at batch brewing company and, you know, countless reunions. And I mean, just the, the, the authentic human experience that we get to see every day at that place, because, you know, the environment isn't about distraction, you know, keeping people, you know, busy filling in the blank while they're filling in their gullet. Like people show up to actually have an experience with each other. And I love that. Yeah. Yeah. So the three beers that you brought, uh, so we have Porter street graffiti and, uh, troll farm. Kind of go through each of them and then tell us where to start and we'll get one poured. Sure. So uh, I just wanted to bring kind of a cross section. Uh, Porter Street is a a Baltic porter. Uh, It's a lager. So uh, we've been making some lagers uh, for a while but have three on the board right now. And we're making a a Centennial Pilsner today. Like 
I love the loggers that we're making. Uh, so I wanted to bring a logger. Um, uh, that's Alex Majetti's baby. I mean, shit, he's been, he talked about making that beer for two and a half years and we finally were like, Oh, okay, cool. Let's make it. And Alex is Alex is our head brewer. Okay. Yep. Um, and so he made that beer. I love it. It's a great beer. Um, the graffiti is our feel good tap beer this month. Um, so I wanted to bring something to represent what we do with the feel good tap. Um, and the last beer is troll farm. And that is just a silly, uh, you know, hop, uh, experiment that Alex and I did together and it features a hundred percent Michigan grown hops, but it is as fruity as tropical, uh, of, of an IPA that I've ever had. That was all Michigan grown hops. Michigan grown hops are beautiful, uh, are complex, but they're not always necessarily big fruit bombs or big tropical, you know, fruit bombs because of the terroir, the, you know, the, the soil that they're grown in, uh, they tend to be a little bit earthier. They tend to be, uh, a little, sometimes more savory, um, you know, really beautiful, piney or, you know, grassy, but not necessarily fruity. And I think we were able to put together a pretty interesting hot profile with that beer. So I just wanted to bring three things that kind of showed off different parts of what we're doing. I didn't bring anything sour. Um, I didn't bring anything really terribly outlandish, but just three things that showed off, you know, part of what we're doing. So which one do I start with? Uh, I would start with probably the graffiti. Um, this is a, uh, wit beer, a Jasmine wit beer. Um, the story behind the concept and the name, um, is, uh, has a lot to do with the organization that was our partner, the feel good tap. And if you're not you know, 100% familiar with what the Feel Good Tap is. Started as an in-house initiative at the brewery, uh, and since became a uh, 501c3. Uh, what we do is we partner. Thank you. Mm-hmm. We partner with different um, nonprofits um, across the state, uh, and um, we raise money for them by selling beer. A dollar from the purchase of each pint goes to a different nonprofit. Um, there are about 40 breweries, beer bars, restaurants, you know, pubs that participate raising money for the feel good tap. And they all have the opportunity to uh, participate in the choosing of these nonprofits. Oh, explain that. How does that go? So there's three different models. Um, Right now we're doing a local model where every participating bar brewery gets to pick their own local partner. So So one-to-one. So if you go to, you know, this specific bar, they have one one charity. beer you're raising it for okay. that one charity. So okay. this month at Batch Brewing Company, we are raising money for Rebel Nell and nice. their um their nonprofit T, which stands for Teach and Power Achieve. Yeah. So hence the Jasmine T and also hence the name Graffiti. Uh yeah. Shout out to Josh Bartlett. He was in charge of uh, actually coming up with uh, how the words came together on that one. Um, but uh, Is Josh working with you? Uh, Josh is actually a board member of the Feel Good Tap. So oh. he is our communication manager. He's been volunteering for a long time, and his now wife was our original board chair, uh, Meredith, um, was our original board chair. She's since gone on to do some uh, – uh, some work she's working in New York and Italy right now on behalf of the Italian government. So she's busy traveling. Yeah, she's living the life. There's no joke about it. But Josh has been uh, an incredible partner, you know, in in my workspace for a lot of years. We worked together um, when I was at Vitamin Water, and he was. In, I used to buy media from him. He came to work for me uh, at Vitamin Water, and then Coca Cola, and then we. Uh, he's been working, you know, helping, uh, you know, with early thought process on the brewery and volunteering in the feel good tap. He's a, he's a, a, a dear buddy and uh, <clears throat> plays a big role in what we do at the feel good tap. So I, I met you when you were at vitamin water. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when you, you kind of 
started the batch brewing process. This was back, I mean, I think two, you won Hatch in 2013. It was probably talked about way before then. Yeah. Um, I, I kind of, you know, did the kind of double take where it's like, wow, this guy, it seemed like you know, you're pretty pretty successful vitamin water, right? And it was like a pretty, I don't know, maybe a cush job, maybe it wasn't, I don't know. But um, to, to, to put that behind you or to, you know, take what you learned from it and build this kind of like small nano brewery, right? Um, what get, kind of gave you the, uh, the the inspiration to do that? Well, so, yeah, it was a pretty cush job. Uh, I'm not going to lie. I'm not making as much money yet at the brewery as I used to make, before, you know, when I left. Um, I, I worked for that brand for a lot of years, um, and – I, you know, I, I earned a, a pretty decent role in that organization. Um, but it really became wholly unsatisfying after Coca-Cola purchased us. I mean, that, I hate to say it, I get a lot of love for a lot of people that I worked with at Coca-Cola, but man, that place is where creativity goes to die. That is, you know, they rely on agencies to a lot, do a lot of heavy lifting. They're very risk averse. You know, and I get it when you run a billion dollar brand in a fortune 50 company, like you don't get excited about doing something edgy and creative. You get excited about seeing a one tenth of 1% growth in your overall business, which equals billions of dollars. Right. But what excites me is about doing something meaningful. So uh, I wasn't a great fit for that. Um, and, uh, I had moved, you know, one of the things I was able to do working at Coca-Cola was invest a lot of Coke money into the city of Detroit. So, um, yeah, you know, Coke 27, tw- yeah, all that Coke money. I got, I am stacks of Coke money. I mean, just pounds and kilos of Coke money. Unbelievable. Uh, anyways, um, I, I, uh, started sponsoring movement, the electronic music festival. I sponsored that festival for 10 years. Um, I did a lot of oh, the big social say, media one. When yeah. you say I, you're talking about vitamin water. Vitamin water, okay, yes. Not, not, not me personally. <laughs> I didn't dip into my pocket with my Coke money to sponsor movement. No. Um, but it, I, I, I personally got to play a role. I get to facilitate moving corporate dollars into the hands of independent, you know, promoters and artists and, and events within the city of Detroit for a lot of years. And eh, probably about after seven or eight years and spending most of my working hours in the city, I moved to the city. Uh, and, after I moved to the city, I discovered pretty quickly that it's a lot harder to homebrew, you know, in a kitchen with an electric stove, uh, in a in a loft in a historic building than it was when you live in the burbs and you got a driveway and a garage and a basement to make all the fucking messes that you want to. Because mm-hmm. brewing, you know, all grain beer at home is not, or brewing beer anywhere is not the neatest, mm-hmm. you know, cleanest process ever. So uh, I started looking for a space to kind of start uh, like a a, col- a collab. Uh, homebrewing, you know, cooperative, right? And I couldn't find a law, state or local or a code or anything to allow me to do it. So I just decided, fuck it, I'm going to start a, a nano brewery. I got introduced to a cat who owned a building. And I was basically, I've been traveling 100 days a year. I was going to, I get home, I'm going to brew some beers, I'm going to get them going. And if we're open two days a week, who gives a shit? Right. Like, uh, and started a crowdfunding campaign to raise some money to do the remodel and to, you know, launch the business. And in the middle of the crowdfunding campaign, Coca Cola, was kind enough to send an email and say, "Hey, this program that you've been running for the last twelve years, yeah, we're 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 nixing that. This program is done." Um, so it was a little bit of a you know built-in shit or get off the pot moment, and so I I shat, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, but no, I was really lucky. Crowdfunding campaign was successful. We generated a lot of interest. Um, and, uh, we applied for and won Hatch in 2013. It, it, this went from a business plan and an idea to something that had captured a lot of imagination very mm-hmm. quickly. A lot of support. There were no new breweries in Detroit for God, 12 years. Like it was, it was, more than 10 years between when we opened and the last brewery previously opened in the city of Detroit. Wow. So this industry had exploded in the state of Michigan and nothing had changed in the city proper in the beer scene. So we were the first brewery to open in years and, you know, probably the the most creative compared. I mean, we're talking about breweries that opened in the 90s. There was a particular kind of 90s, you know, beer aesthetic to a lot of them. I'm not knocking them. They make mm-hmm. some great beer. But when you can still go into almost every brewery in Detroit and get an Amber or an ESB, like, you know that they haven't necessarily turned the page on their old, you know, right. recipe books. So um, uh, they, they are. There's a lot of change happening. But we came in just like brewing outlandish things, you know, barley wine IPAs and imperial stouts and things that just weren't available in this market. Um, so we captured some attention and we're able to, you know, actually stay open as a business, which is good since I owe a lot of money to people. <laughs> so I kind of want to touch on that. When, when the home brewing laws kind of opened up in the eighties, I think it was seventies actually. Yeah. That was like magical. I mean like that, that opened a lot of paths for people such as Steven to do these things, but it's still not perfect. Um, so I helped start I3 Detroit, which is like a community makerspace and we couldn't do home brewing in there. Because it's not homebrewing. Yeah. Well, it's, yeah, it's like away brewing. Yeah. And uh, there were a ton of people that wanted to do that. There are a ton of people looking for that kind of resource, but the law doesn't support it. It says, you know, you need, you can do it in your home quietly, not hurting anyone. I, I know that like, uh, Kunin early on was mm. doing mm. on premise brewing. Yeah. Right? Brew on premise is a different yeah. thing. Like technically, you're going to brew with somebody. They're making this beer on your behalf and you're buying it at a certain, that's a, it's a different license. A brew on premise is a completely different license. Um, there are people that do a cooperative brew model. There's one in Texas and there's one in, um, God, there's one in Wisconsin or something like that. Uh, but it's, it's, uh, technically, I think it is an alternating proprietorship mm-hmm. where there are multiple breweries operating on one license. So there are loopholes, but you need to have a bit of a perspective. You still need the capital to get the licensing, and then you still need the the wherewithal to be able to submit the documents and go through the process and and then get licensed at the state. And most people don't get what you're trying to do. Like, why are there six brewery setups in this one room? You know, so it's why not? Yeah, <laughs> fair question, right? So why do you think there was such a gap in uh, in time between you guys and the previous? brewery uh i just think that that's a symptom of what was going on in the broader detroit kind of economic landscape Mm. Uh, i don't think there were a lot of people that were investing in detroit over those years and if they were they certainly weren't gambling they were looking for sure things they were looking for things that were going to they thought that they knew were going to make money what was Uh, the year you started i was running around doing photos if you said it yeah uh so 2013 is when we launched a crowdfunding campaign we officially opened in 2015 we're not you know tilling new soil here right like there are 300 breweries in the state of michigan 300 plus breweries in the state of michigan almost 8,000 breweries in the united states um what we're trying to do is not you know make the most inventive beer in the world what we're trying to do is make great beer trying to run a sustainable business trying to add value to our community and trying to you know keep our doors open day after day year after year so this is something that can live and exist in the community something that we can pass down to our daughters something that you know is uh, it it's meaningful to the broader food and drink landscape in the city of Detroit how did you pick Corktown as a location 
So, Cor- yeah, Corktown uh, started um, when I was originally introduced to my ex-business partner who owned a building right on Michigan Avenue. Um, and we spent a lot of time, almost a year, working on that building together. And uh, that that relationship uh, dissolved um, through the reasons that relationships like that dissolve. Um but we had the opportunity to tap into a grant through the old Tiger Stadium Conservancy for an additional $50,000. If we left that neighborhood, that grant wasn't available to us. So it wasn't the singular reason that we stayed in that neighborhood, uh, but it was definitely a driving force into keeping our eyes open. And we found this quirky building that was off of Michigan Avenue um, that was definitely not a sure thing. There were not other than Mudgies. Um, that was the most successful business off of Michigan Avenue in the court in Corktown at the time. Le Petit Zinc was open, but they were kind of floating off on an island and, you know, they had their loyalists, but it's not like they were necessarily humming as a business. And they're done now. They moved. They moved. Yeah. They're in Midtown. Yeah. Oh, that's a whole other story, but whatever. Um, the, uh, so it was a bit of a gamble, right? Opening a business off of Michigan Avenue and we completely reimagined this building and it wasn't like, you know those buildings in Corktown, it's all old mm-hmm. Detroit common brick and they're 110 years old and they've got hardwood floors and they just ooze with character. Like you can imagine the Purple Gang just kind of, you know, milling around. That's not the building that we bought. We you, bought a you building. Have a train. We train. There's a train car attached. The building was built in 71. <laughs> it's all this crappy, weird 70s engineered fired brick. The building had never had windows in it. You know, it, yeah. It's the guys that build it were like, hey, let's build this building for a bar and restaurant and we'll build it like it's an office building. That way if it fails we can sell it to somebody else and they can turn it into an office building. So it's this bland boring building that we really had to reimagine. Uh, and we did and it's great now, but it's still, when you look at it, you're like, this is a weird fucking building. <laughs> Just this block square building just this squat stupid building but at the same time it does set you apart because you definitely have a very interesting aesthetic when you walk in that building you definitely feel kind of like it's different like Mm -hmm. it's kind of like even the way the gear is set up and the way the seating and all that is it it puts you in a different mind space i believe yeah it could for the right imagination it could be an opportunity i mean like katoy took what like a cinder white cinder block uh mechanic shop and turned it into you walk in this place yeah well that may be version two yes guantanamo (laughs) Oh, those poor guys. I'm excited about that as well. But um, quickly change the subject. Though this smells amazing. Yeah, Patrol Farm. <clears throat> yeah, uh, no, no. This is this is this is uh, the. Um, oh, this, re- is, this is graffiti. I already yeah, drank. Oh, oh yeah. so I have. We're laughing. You. All right, great. Anyways, so yeah, the uh, I, I should move on and try and drink this no, no, beer. No, no. With I, we're not trying to rush you. We we uh, we believe in responsible drinking here at Herd Podcast. That's right. We believe in responsible drinking at her podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. Does that make sense? It do, yeah, right. of course it does. Uh, so with, with the uh, – you, you have all communal tables, right? Um, yeah. Yeah, we do. So was there any pushback initially when when you uh, opened that way? Um, I don't know about – I don't know about initially. Every once in a while, there's a blip of somebody that complains, and the likelihood of one person complains, there's probably ten people that you know don't have the cojones to actually pipe up and complain and are thinking the same thing. Is it like a weird Yelp review? Just like, oh, I just sit next to someone. Like it's all oh, that this. I can't wait for this like communal dining thing to be over with. I have to sit with these people I don't know. This guy smells. There's crumbs all over. I don't know. I don't know where my seat is. This person's leg is touching me. Like, sorry, I get it, but you know, whatever. Um, no, it, it it's fun to me to to um, put people in a space where they're outside of their comfort zone. Uh, I think that's where the most uh, you know amazing bits of humanity. Uh, 
come come about. Uh, and so we try and do that on the on the regular at the brewery. Uh, dining, it's a really easy way to do it. Um, with you know with dining, and then and and after that, it's the goal of my staff, right, to make people comfortable. They need to be comfortable in the experience that we're trying to create for them. We want people talking about our beer. We want people talking to each other. We want people talking, like interact with each other. Put your damn phone in your pocket. You've got. 23 hours out of the day to do that here. Just like sit in one place, do a thing, mm-hmm. you know, drink a beer, have an experience, do a thing. I mean, we're talking a lot about the beer, but we got to talk about the food too. Cause the food's fantastic. Um, uh, Matt is, is Matt still there? Mm. He's been there since the beginning, right? Yes. Chef Matt, uh, is an, an incredibly lucky find for us. Now that my, my business partner wouldn't say the same words. He would say, really? Chef Matt is my best friend. This wasn't luck. I've been waiting oh, to open a business okay. with him forever. He would say, um, you know, he. I mean, this this to me, my business partner said, hey, if we ever, you know, get a restaurant, I got the guy. And having been in, you know, food, you know, off and on since I was about 13 years old, it, to me, it was like, all right, yeah, well, <laughs> when, you know, when we're ready to talk about food, I got plenty of my own ideas. And, um uh, you know, then we bought this place and it came with a commercial kitchen space and I, um, we had to remodel, we had to reimagine it, but it was built out that way. The utilities were run that way. It was pretty easy for us to, you know, to get into working shape. And, um, we started talking with him and he was immediately coming up with ideas. And if I threw an idea at him, he was turning it into an actual thing. Like I would say, Hey, what if we, you know, took pasties and thought of it almost like a, you know, a gourmet hot pocket where the, you know, the, the, what's inside it gets to change on the regular and it becomes a, a a thing that we can do that differentiates us, you know, and a week later he's sending me pictures of pasties that he's serving at his job. You know, he was an executive chef at a high end country club and he would use certain events they had or luncheons or whatever to test ideas out. And so when he showed up, he had pretzels dialed in, he had the pasties dialed in, he had the first four or five, you know, menu items ready to go. He didn't have to experiment. They were ready to rock. And he had been there for 15 years. And when he told them like, Hey, look, I'm, you know, moving to pursue this thing. They were like, well, any experimenting you want to do here? He was like, cool. Since I've been doing that for the last six months. (laughs) So it worked out. And he is so personable, so laid back. And and I don't know how he is behind behind the scenes, but like his bedside manner is just so incredible. Like you just feel at home with him. You're just like, yeah, I'll eat your crazy pasty. Yeah, sure. Why not? He's uh, the, he's he came to us with the nickname the Zen Chef, and that is what he's like. <laughs> you would think the guy smokes an egregious amount of marijuana, <laughs> and he doesn't. He's just like, hey, all right. In the morning, he walks in. He goes, hey, and that's the vibe all day long. <laughs> hey, man, what's up? I haven't seen that guy get his blood up but once or twice in three years, and it doesn't get any further than like, that's it. That's getting his blood up. No pans getting thrown around, no swearing, no cursing, no wagging fingers at anybody. I have never seen anybody come out of that kitchen crying. I mean, you guys have worked in restaurants. I used to work on a line. I used to make people cry all the time. Like, that's not how he is. That's not how our kitchen operates. So, no, he's he's an incredible guy. We're really lucky to have him as part of the family. And so the, the idea is for, like, uh, so the pasties, obviously, a Michigan thing. Then you have a, a rotating, like, um, bolillo sandwich, right? Yeah. So that's, that's a Southwest Detroit thing, right? Is that, like, so these connections are being made. There's an, also a rotating arancini, if yeah. I'm not mistaken. 
So is he? He's maybe he's not Italian, is he? He actually. So he he in his time, you know, in that more gourmet and catering space, you know, he developed relationships with certain items, and um, the Aaron, the Arancini is definitely something that came from his previous experience. Um, the Bolio is something that came from you know. The, the both him and my business partner Jason grew up as you know Detroiters are in Garden City like their experience growing up was around a lot of these things um so you know they they were living on Gilbert and Southwest you know a block away from Abix when we opened the place up they shopped at Prince Valley they shopped at ENL like Pilar the baker at ENL when we walk in if I walk in she says Hey, good to see you. Where is Matt? <laughs> like she, Matt goes in there five times a week and she makes fresh Belio for him five times a week. You know, uh, it's very rare that we don't have, you know, Belio baked that day. You know, it's only ever, you know, a day and a half old. It's fresh all the time. You know, she makes it for us to order. Um, he's been able to build and develop relationships with people, you know, in markets and at Eastern market, certain vendors and things like that. He loves it. He absolutely loves it. I mean, having do it, been doing what he did at a country club where it's all ordering from food service to be able to come back home to Detroit, to be able to shop markets, to be able to build relationships with people. He just loves it, man. Yeah. So, so this past weekend, uh, the uh, 60th St. Patrick's Day parade took place. Um, I, I'm wondering if do you guys create menus directly, like because of the parade, do you brew beer for the parade or is it something where it's just like you know if you look at social media look at like the the the, the, it's a party right Mm -hmm. do people care what they're putting in their mouth uh so they do they do care what they're consuming um but and we brew uh a beer for saint patrick's day time frame we brew uh our dry irish stout called uh uh, dead irish writers Uh, we brew that beer every year um but we actually close our doors um, St. Patrick's Day Parade is a terrible event for us. It is um, – people don't party off of Michigan Avenue on St. Patrick's Day during the parade. They party on Michigan Avenue and then they leave Michigan Avenue when they're too drunk and they're too tired and they want to go sit down somewhere and eat and drink more. And there's nothing worse than owning a brewery and having floods of shit can hammered wasted people stumbling in your door and getting pissed because you want to serve them beer. So we don't I'm even know. Sorry, open. I don't want my license taken away. <laughs> not only that, but I don't want your vomit in here. Like <laughs> there's, a, there's a there are there's a litany of reasons not to let any of those people in the door and it is uh it's a potential cost to us, a liability, but I mean the cost to op- to operate, you know, any given day like we might break even on St. Patrick's Day, and it's nothing short of a complete fucking pain in the ass. So we close the doors. We actually did an event with uh, McShane's right on the corner of Michigan Trumbull this year, and we went on their back patio. We had four beers on tap. Uh, Courtney, um, Jess, and uh, Aaron were out promoting, doing passing out stickers and buttons and hanging out with people and having a great time. Mm-hmm. And, man, that's what I'm doing from here on out, like do an event with McShane's, see what we can do to add value to one of our neighbors, plus up the event, put our beer on tap centralize the party participate where people want to do their thing mm-hmm. and keep them the fuck away from my brewery. <laughs> I like that. Now yeah. compare and contrast share the the sugar house story. This year you're actually, on <clears throat> you're on the parade route. That's that's correct. Yeah. This year this year I would have to say that uh probably the best year in terms of uh the the responsibility. I would say so. We've wow. definitely had uh you know we can't close well, I guess we could close but we choose to open and we've taken advantage over the years but We've definitely had the exact scenario that you've talked about. I mean, like broken, uh, broken bathroom doors and vomit and people just 
really becoming, yeah, it, trust me, it, it gets bad down there. This year was actually, I don't know if it was because it was so... They were like, promoting family-friendly. They were, right? but I didn't see that necessarily. Okay. But I, I just, I think people were so happy with like the sunshine for the one day because mm. it was really nice. I don't know. That's just a one my thought because that's how I was feeling. But um, I was there all day, and um, we had Aramis from Grash Avenue Provisions was uh, made some traditional Irish bangers, super great. People were fairly respectful. We only had uh, one girl passed out on the floor that we had to have her friend pick her up and <laughs> take her out. Um, we only had the one girl pass out the on one the floor. Um, you know who you rounding are. Error. <laughs> exactly. It's rounding error. Well, bravo. Uh, but bravo generally, Detroit. Yeah. But uh, yeah, actually, yeah. So in, improvement. You got to you gotta say, uh, you know, give credit where credit's due. But sure. no, in the past, it's been a huge issue. And it's always like, you know, particularly with uh, daylight savings and, you know, people are getting off work for us at 4 a.m. And then they got to be back at... 9 a.m. and then and then to deal with that, but well, Saturday's like vibe. the day to yeah. have a St. Patrick's Day on Saturday because it's that's this no, is like it's the next one. It's always it's every seven years, right? That it's on a Saturday. What? Well, no. Oh, the actual St. Patrick's yeah. Day. St. Patrick's Day. Well, yeah. it's this weekend. But the parade's a week. The parade before. is always oh, on a Sunday. Sunday. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, and, but yeah. it is on a Saturday, so you're gonna yeah. have two weekends then. Okay. Yeah. yeah, we're opening up early this Saturday. We have uh, we have Irish band coming in and doing some more traditional Irish fair and uh, uh, just to. You know, capture that just because of sure. Town, Irish neighborhood. Uh, but yeah, I mean, uh, it's cool. We get the uh, the Detroit Party Marching Band has come in the last couple of years. My boys, yeah, they fill out the back of the Sugar House and they do three, four big band songs like nice. in the bar. Everybody goes nuts. So it's a good vibe as long as you can keep everybody. You know, and we've definitely you know we stat we, we have to staff up an extra couple extra people at the door just to kind of like be paying attention to what's going on. But yeah, when done right, it could be good. But I hear you because it's definitely been a struggle. Yeah, so we we'll, close we'll, early at six. Is we're like. You know. Go home. Yeah, so we'll be open for St. Patrick's Day on yeah. Saturday, but the parade, the parade, is the parade means nothing to us okay. other than a liability. St. Patrick's Day will be open, and we were open last year, and it was bonkers. I mean, it was like people were banging on the door to get in at like 1030. So people are in rare form on St. Patrick's Day in Detroit. They come out ready to get down. Um, so – uh, you know, we're we're going to take uh, our high gravity beers off of the board. <laughs> I mean, ironically, the day before we're doing uh, an event with all high gravity beers. Right. We're doing so we're doing our Stark Beer Fest on Friday this week, um, which is a, it's a celebration of Doppelbach, the style Doppelbach. Love it. Um, and so we did a really big Doppelbach, almost 12 percent alcohol. And then we're also going to put on. Um, you know, requited, which is a fourteen percent alcohol, and uh, a bourbon barrel aged version, my wedding beer from a couple years ago, and Stone Bones, and we're actually putting on a uh, happy accident. Uh, we were doing some kegging, and somebody accidentally put some better together and Dick Smasher in the same keg. So I don't remember what we're calling it. Better Smasher, <laughs> Dicker together. I don't remember. I don't remember. I don't remember the name, but something ridiculous. Uh, but so yeah, we're gonna have five beers that are all over twelve percent on tap on Friday, and, and then a small beer festival. And then Saturday, yeah. we're not, we're not going to pour them for anyone. <laughs> <laughs> so Corktown's a historically Irish neighborhood. So this is the this is the reason why St. Patrick's Day parade and St. Patrick's is such a big deal in Detroit. Is that? Yeah, because the yeah. Uh, oh, absolutely the community center is there too, isn't it? Right the Gaelic League's right yeah, there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 no, it, it is um, oldest neighborhood in Detroit, originally settled um, by Irish. I believe originally settled by Irish. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's a big part of the community. Uh, there are the, the kind of uh, Michigan or Detroit Irish diaspora, like, hunkers back down in Corktown every year. Mm-hmm. Uh, they come back to party. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's uh, something, man. It's something. <laughs> 
So let's go back to the um, the feel good tap for a little bit. Uh, I, I want to talk more about like how that came to be and, and how quickly it kind of caught fire because sure. it seems like it was crazy. Yeah, it was you, like overnight. Yeah, because you you started off with it and it it was like well, oh it's a really incredible idea right like a dollar per pour and it makes sense you know because uh, you're buying <laughs> the beer anyway <laughs> makes sense oh oh yeah makes dollars actually <laughs> <laughs> and the, um so how quickly were you able to like push that out into other uh, other locations and like places like jump on the bandwagon yeah so it's uh it's been a a pretty crazy ride um it is very much its own organization with its own set of responsibilities and and challenges and um you know it started as an in-house initiative but it was a part of our business plan very early on you know we knew that we wanted to give back my mother lives with ms my uh, jason's father lives with alzheimer's um we've Everyone has got somebody or two or five people in their family that, that, you know, live with, uh, challenges and, and, uh, medical conditions or, you know, things like that. They see opportunities in the community, um, that they would like to, you know, play a role in, in fixing or, or, you know, helping to, you know, imagine solutions for. And so it was always a part of the business plan. And I gave a, I always mess up the name of this, um, Pachakacha, Pachakucha. It's like a TED. It's oh, like the talks. The talks. It's like a TEDx talk, except it was created for architects. There's like yeah, a very it's like Pachuca or something. There's a very specific yeah. format. Uh, X number of slides. X number of seconds per slide. Basically, it's, it's a public talk. Yeah. yeah. And so I gave a talk about the brewery, but I talked a lot about the Feel Good Tap. And this event was at One Eyed Betty's years ago. It was in 2013, late 2013. And uh, when I finished the talk. Um, Beth from One I Betty's walked up and she was like, as soon as you're doing this anywhere outside of the brewery, I'm your first one on board. And I was like, high five, let's do that. And it was really clear that this was going to be, you know, bigger than just an initiative at the brewery, but it could become its own thing. And quite frankly, it should become bigger than my brewery. I mean, it's almost infinite possibility of bars and restaurants and breweries that can participate. Um, if I'm not, if we're not raising, you know, a half million dollars a year in Michigan in a couple of years, we're doing it wrong. And if you can imagine that times five or 10 states, all of a sudden this is a, a mechanism mm-hmm. to raise three, four, five million dollars a year to support nonprofit initiatives, you know, across the Midwest or across the country. So our job is to figure it out, right? Figure out how to do it, automate it. So it's easy, you know, to manage. So members know how to do it, how to submit money, how to, you know, make their posters, how to do their thing, right? How to make it relative, relevant to their business um, and and not hard. I mean, you guys have all, you're in the service industry. It's hard enough to operate your damn business, mm-hmm. let alone like coming up with an initiative once a month, <laughs> finding a nonprofit <laughs> partner, printing out a poster, hanging it up, educating your staff, telling them how to do it, and then writing a check at the end of the month. Hey, my numbers are in. Yeah, except you owe $800 to the feel-good tab. Oh, fuck. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it's it's all about trying to make this thing as turnkey as possible so people see the benefit of it um, and so we can continue to grow it. I mean, the money is not mine, right? It's the consumer. Right. I have a $5 beer. If it's on the Feel Good Tap, it's a $6 beer. You're doing the giving. Mm-hmm. I'm doing the facilitating. Mm-hmm. Feel Good Tap is doing the deploying. We do this thing together. Yeah. So I think from a consumer standpoint is there have been too many times that I've walked into a bar seen this incredible tap list and been like, I don't know where to start. So to have something like that say like, hey, why don't you start here? Feel good tap. gives a dollar to charity. That like instantly makes your decision so much easier. You know you're helping out. You're getting a great beer. 
it, you're just like you're saying, it's a win-win. Well, and it's funny because like somebody asked me, like, what's your goal with the feel-good tap? Like, my goal isn't to raise $10 million a year. My goal is to create a new experience mm-hmm. in the zeitgeist. I want people to walk into a bar and without looking to see what's on the tap list. I want somebody to walk into your bar and say, hey, what do you got on feel-good tap? Ooh. Boom. And that and to be able to have like created – a new experience for like just the general awareness to exist in a bar to happen outside of your auspices, outside of places that you know that you didn't go in and like guilt somebody into please sign up for the feel good tap. But it happens and outside of your influence, people can 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 are having this unique experience when they go out to to consume like they're just consuming five percent more consciously. That's what I want. Yeah, that's what I want. So we'll see. Do, Big dreams. Do you? <laughs> Do you brew directly for the feel good tap? Um, we brew I mean, obviously for, with the, the gravity, the graffiti you have. You have yeah, yeah. So uh, the first year that we did it, and it was an in house initiative. Every beer was brewed specifically for a partner. They were all local partners. It was just a batch brewing company. Um, since then, we really only brew uh, some specific beer for our local partners. Um, but uh, there's only one statewide partner that we brew a beer for, which is the MS Society. So they're actually in our bylaws of our organization. As long as there's a feel-good tap, the feel-good tap will be raising money for the MS Society. If we open a chapter in Illinois, one month out of the year, the Illinois feel-good tap chapter is raising money for the MS Society. So that's built into the DNA of our organization. Cool. Yeah. So so if somebody, if they have your beer on tap, they have graffiti on tap, are they is that instantly a feel-good tap? Does that go along with it? No. Nope. Okay. Every participating establishment picks what beer they want on Feel Good Tap, uh, you know, for what month. It is completely their discretion. So, um, you know, for example, Founders is not a Feel Good Tap member, but One Eyed Betty's, if they want to put, you know, uh, Founders on their Feel Good Tap, cool in the gang, totally your call. Um, I think perpetually lately, the last number of months, uh, One-Eyed Betty's has had Bell's Lager of the Lakes uh, on Feel Good Tap. Bell's is not a Feel Good Tap member. Not that I don't want them to be. I'm talking to you, Larry. <laughs> Laura Bell, I got your number. I'm giving you a jingle. We know you listen. <laughs> yeah, that's my talk to them. They were like, hey, you know that podcast, Heard? That's great, right? Oh, my God, I just heard you on Heard. <laughs> So yeah, it's uh it's been it's been an experience building this thing and having really no resources. 90% of every dollar that comes in gets deployed. 10% we need to pay for G Suite, to pay for, you know, Basecamp, to pay to have, you know, feel you know, to tap handles made. Mm-hmm. Uh but 90% is an impossibly high threshold Super. to maintain yep. to pay yep. through. For charity? Yes. Yeah. So mm-hmm. so it it leaves us with very little in the way of resources to pay, I don't know, an executive director to think about the feel good tap 80 hours a week. I'm the executive director. You know, I don't sleep 80 hours a week. Like there's very little time to do this thing. And, um, you know, the whole staff is incredible. It's all volunteer. Everybody does what they can. And we're trying to figure out how to, whether it's, you know, find some grant money until we scale the organization enough that 10% equals enough to pay an executive director and an admin and these miscellaneous things, you know, finding other ways to raise revenue uh, to eventually hire a full-time, you know, ED to really, scale and grow this thing and until that happens it's me puttering around trying not to screw it up too much have any breweries partnered with you then oh yeah tons so um you know we've we've uh especially a lot of the new ones so actually everyone in that kind of like milford area all the new breweries so center 
Center North Brewing just signed up, and I, I haven't been out there yet. I think they're pretty new, but mm-hmm. Drafting Horse, Drafting Table, River's Edge, all those guys out there on board, Pallet and Milford, like there's a dense, you know, group of people out there. Um, but uh, yeah, a, t- a ton of breweries. Cool. We're, we're, we're uh, about. Th- 38 or 39 members total deep right now. And I appreciate that they don't see that as competition. They see it as a good thing to do. Oh, and that's the that's the thing that like craft beer and breweries do a great job in local philanthropy. And it's usually once a quarter or a couple times a year. I'm not trying to replace that. The Feel Good Tap is not supposed to just replace that. Mm-hmm. I think the Feel Good Tap is everyday philanthropy. It's yeah. a thing that happens in the background that this industry, hopefully more broadly than just craft beer, but the service industry you know, can choose to do together. It no, it doesn't affect anybody's margin. It's actually a tax benefit to you at the end of the year, you know, and we can then do this thing together, raise a bunch of money to fix things in our community. It's a fucking no brainer. And the problem is that every time that you have an idea, somebody goes, Oh, I could do that. <laughs> yeah, sure. You could do that. But did you? But oh, yeah. and, and, and even if you're going to, like, what is the value of you doing it on your own that is any more or less than joining this group, doing this thing together? So you Dilute it. Yeah. yeah it, it, it does make the idea a little bit less valuable when somebody says, oh, I can do that too, and then they do it on their own. Uh, but the idea of, of a collective industry approach to, like, collaborative philanthropy um, to raise money to, you know, help other nonprofits in the community is a no-brainer. And in that, it doesn't have to replace the – philanthropy that anybody else does it doesn't affect your margin it's not anything that comes out of pocket at all it just happens every day um yeah i'm just going to keep pitching it and pitching it and pitching it until it's you know bigger than i can handle Kent, do you have plans for the feel good tap to extend beyond beer yeah like is there so, like a feel good yes. breadstick so, or, or feel, well yeah or cocktails us, or wine or a feel good pie you know what acroids. i would be a hundred percent down with starting to see feel good uh extend outside of beer i have long thought that it would make sense to to do in um you know other things and specifically booze mostly because you know you know doing a cocktail or doing wine is is a no-brainer to me but doing something in food i mean first of all it would be a, a great story to be the first non-beer you know feel good you know, tap participant. Um, and yeah, I would love to. So, you know, let's do that. Attention. I, I'm attention, 100% uh, people, in. Yeah. yeah. Um, especially uh, just because you can, it's such an easy story. It, it, it seems like an, like you keep saying, it's a no brainer. It's a no brainer. Yeah. You yeah. could do, I mean, I feel like a ton of people are doing tapped cocktails now. Actually, that would be fun. If you feel good, like a tap cocktail, like, yeah, that'd be fun. I mean, there's at least five or six places that are doing it. Now. I mean, I, I, I realize that not everybody drinks beer. Um, and certainly not everybody drinks beer every time they go out. Um, <clears throat> I would love to remove as many barriers as possible for somebody to make a decision. You said to barriers? <laughs> um, I didn't, but I'll do that from now on. Every time I say barrier, it's going to be barrier. Like, what are you saying? Barrier. What is a barrier? You know, barrier. Things that get in your way. Barriers. They so, just have a barrier to understanding. Oh, oh there uh, it is. <laughs> channeling my internet critique. <laughs> Um, so talking about growth for feel good tab, let's talk about growth for batch brewing. So you guys have grown exponentially since the beginning yeah. and you're, um, you're growing as we speak, right? Currently sitting in front of you. I've there's my, my pants size. <laughs> um, yeah, no, we, we have, and it, 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 when you start as small as we did, 
it's really easy to grow. Like we started with six four barrel tanks, you know, like we were, we were small. So we had like, we opened the doors and we were like, fuck, we got to grow right now. Like we're not going to be able to keep up. And uh, so we did within the first year, uh, we went from six four barrel tanks to six uh, seven barrel tanks, and then we went to ten seven barrel tanks, and um, we purchased another facility. So we're working on our second location uh, that will focus on mixed culture fermentation, uh, wild fermented cider, um, and those ten seven barrel tanks have all moved. Well, seven of them have moved over to that new space. We also purchased um, uh, eight fifteen barrel tanks, and we also have ten. 10 barrel tanks that we're doing all of our sour beer in. So we went from having six total, you know, fermentation vessels to now 28 between these two locations. The second one is not licensed yet. So we're not making over there, but we're in the process of licensing and pretty soon we'll be, uh, in, in a place where, you know, we've got two operating facilities, two operating, uh, hopefully tasting rooms. And yeah, we're, we're able to really, you know, continue to diversify the product offerings. I mean, you know, variety is uh, what people are looking for when they come into a brewery. They want to have a new experience as often as they can when they come in. It keeps them coming back. Um, they want to see creativity. And having this much in the way of, you know, different tanks gives us mm-hmm. the opportunity to continue to experiment and try and change and, and tweak and whatever. Uh, and um, while it makes it harder to scale, you know, uh, distribution for a particular beer, what it does is it gives us the ability to keep people on their toes and to keep us as makers engaged. I mean, otherwise you're running a factory, just a factory, right? right? I, I got a lot of love for founders, but can you imagine being the guy that comes in and makes all day IPA all, all day, day, every day, that's your job. No, thanks. Well, even uh, like a couple months ago, we had Travis from uh, old nation on and there's been articles that come out recently that they're essentially just making M43. Yeah. And he likes it, but you could totally tell he's just like, Okay, guys, I make other stuff. Yeah, well, well, for sure. And I mean, you know, in that particular instance, like that business was making great beer before M43, Mm -hmm, but mm -hmm. nobody was drinking it because it was all these these hyper traditional styles that just didn't move the needle. And his business was starting to suffer because of it. M43 really flipped the lights on what a high, you know, skilled brewer he is. And just the other day, they bought a 10-barrel pilot system, and now he's got some 10-barrel tanks to do what we do, which he's is expanded. fuck around all the time, yeah. you know? <laughs> and that's what people want. They want to come to your tap room, and they want to see what you're innovating, and that innovation will point you in the direction of, you know what? Nobody is doing this thing well. Let's give that a whirl. And all of a sudden, I mean, if you're lucky, you end up with an M43, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, if we do, we're not going to install – 200 barrel tanks we're going to go talk to our friends at brew detroit and work on it over there and continue to experiment and do all this weird shit and also have this other brand continue to go so and that was something you mentioned right when you opened is that across the street is brew detroit Mm -hmm. and that if you ever had something that was a quote-unquote hint hit you could then kind of farm out the recipe to them for them to mass produce it yeah and and you know luckily we can approach it in a couple different ways it can be an all you know an alternating proprietorship or it can be a contract brewery contract brewery is here's the recipe brew this for us yeah alternating proprietorship is um we're coming in to brew this beer on your system you know we'll work with you and mm-hmm. we'll do this collaboratively it's your you know multi-million dollar system but we're going to make this beer our beer on your system yeah. at this scale even beyond that those guys are some of our closest friends in the industry like the industry is hyper collaborative you know we we are doing collab- collaborations all the time calling people learning picking brains that's just part of the experience in in the craft beer industry michigan um but 
Brew Detroit being our neighbors, they don't have a kitchen. I see people from Brew Detroit at our brewery two, three times a week sitting down for lunch. Mm. And we hang out. We pour them beer. We talk about whatever. Um, if I have questions, I go to Joe. Joe Thrunner is one of the greatest resources in Michigan craft beer. He's been everywhere forever. That guy knows everything about beer. Mm-hmm. If you like have a quirky idea of like, Hey, you know, I wonder if I could, uh, you know, sanitize bottles or cans with, you know, uh, ozonated water before it goes into the bottling line. I wonder what the half-life on ozonated water is. So we make sure we're not going to oxidize beer. Joe will be like, Oh yeah, we used to use it at this place. And this is the way we did like, Oh, what? <laughs> <laughs> I thought this was some fucking weird esoteric idea I just came up with. You were doing it 15 years ago. Thanks, Joe. Yeah. He's the brewer at. Yeah, he's the head brewer. He's the production manager, head brewer there. He's not getting his, his hands dirty every day making beer. He makes strategic decisions mm-hmm. about making the place more efficient, more effective. Like, hey, we can um, use less water if we do this. Hey, we can, you know, reuse this, you know, spent asset like spent grain everywhere else for any small brewery is a liability what the fuck do i do with all this leftover grain got to find a farmer maybe find somebody to compost it or it's going to feed some pigs for him it's a commodity they make money by selling it to a farmer because they have enough of it so it's a that he finds ways to have all of their you know wastes or as many as possible become assets for their business so he's you know, uh, a foot smarter than me, you know, in experience right now, he gets to do all these things that I can't because of scale and because of time and experience. And I just like to surround myself. It's like, you know, musicians, like if you want to become a j- good jazz musician. You don't just sit down and jam with people. You go and surround yourself with people that have been doing it 20 years longer than you. He's a jazz master and I'm just, you know, picking up a guitar. So I feel like that's a, that's a recommendation for anything, you know, constantly challenge yourself. If you're hanging out with, you know, people that are just kind of leeching off of you, you're not gaining anything. But if you're hanging out with people that are ahead of the curve, that are smart, that are doing crazy stuff, it's going to rub off on you and you're going to grow because of it, no matter what industry you're in. There's nothing worse than being in an echo chamber of a a bunch of people that have just enough information to carry on what seems to be like a reasonable conversation. And there are people a foot away that know everything, but you don't want to let them in. And most of the time it's because you're intimidated by it. Like, Man, one of the most liberating things is to like raise your hand and be like, I don't know this thing. And more than more times than not, somebody's going to tell you. And then you get to be smarter. Or to be challenged because one of two things are going to happen. One, you're going to learn something and find out you're wrong. Or two, you're going to reinforce your idea and you're going to explain to them, hey, yeah, this is why I did this. And both of those things are good. Yeah. yeah. So what's the long-term goal? You're opening – you have expansion on the horizon yep. quickly. What's three years, five years? Um, three years from now, I hope to have, um, done a little bit of real estate jostling in our Corktown area. We're working on purchasing a small lot from Chase Bank right now. Um, that will allow us to central centralize our parking in one contiguous area and take that North, that weird kind of parking lot on the North side of our building and actually turn it into an additional outbuilding, uh, facility building. So whether that is, you know, kind of flex space for storage or other experiences for consumers or a place to host our Oktoberfest party or whatever we want to do back there. Um, and then, uh, actually bolt on a little bit of additional space to that building on the north side of the building, put a 15 barrel brew house bottling line out there. Um, I, I imagine that three years from now, batch brewing company might be as big as about five or 6,000 barrels, um, of conventional beer. Where are you at now? Uh, we were shy of a thousand last year. Okay. We were, we're at right around 800. Uh, this year we'll probably, Whoa. yeah, we were, we were, yeah. So that's for, a big deal. It is year, yeah. year one. We did 200 and 
250 year two was 630 or 640. This last year was about 800. Uh, this year will probably double with the addition of the other facility and the new mm-hmm. tanks. Uh, if not double, it'll definitely be over a thousand, probably around, I'm guessing around 1200. Um, but you know, in three years, it might be five or 6,000 barrels. Uh, of conventional beer plus some additional, um, you know, mixed culture fermentation that'll be smaller. Uh, but you know, maybe we end up doing, you know, and three, cider too. Three, and, and cider. Yeah. And, uh, a lot of that has to do with finding good cider fruit, which is a really, really hard thing to do. So if anybody's listening and they wonder how, how they could play in craft beverage, if you own land, you should start growing traditional cider fruit. Hmm. Thumbs up. I don't, but. <laughs> there are more people that do than you would know. I get random calls from people who are like, hey, I want to start farming hops. I'm like, don't do it, man. <laughs> don't do it. Speaking uh, of hops, though, that troll farm, you were not kidding. The the aroma, the fruity aroma on that yeah. troll farm is incredible. Yeah. Very. And then really quick, what are we drinking now? The, uh, this is um, the Porter Street. It is a Baltic Porter. Uh, I think that rings in right around 9%. Super clean fermentation. Doesn't drink like a 9. Yeah, yeah. it drinks super, super crisp um, and and uh, mm. it not not like high heat ABV. It's definitely malty, though. Nice, nice round uh malt profile a little bit of a little bit of roast a little bit of chocolate but mostly it's just big round mm-hmm. you know malt bomb uh it's a classic example of the beer you know a dark dark garnet bordering on brown um love it it's a it's a great beer uh actually uh, old nation is throwing a festival it's called wiffle i think uh williamston festival of loggers or something like that and uh we're at least bringing this beer everyone's bringing pilsners we're gonna bring a baltic porter because fuck it you know <laughs> Variety's nice. So let's real quick talk about um, these kind of weekly events that you're going to start doing. So you have Franks and Steins right now, right? Yeah. So um, we've done one. It will turn into a weekly event uh, pretty soon at some point in uh, late March or early April. It will turn into a weekly event. Franks and Steins is a a hot dog special. You know, you bring your Oktoberfest Stein in and we'll have select beers for uh, $5 one liter Stein fills. And then we're showing old – Public domain, black and white, campy horror movies, Frankensteins. There it is. It's <laughs> great. Yeah. Uh, okay. So, where can people find you? Let's do the rundown. Uh, address, batch brewing, where? Uh, 1400 Porter Street in Corktown. We're a block west of Mudgies, uh, Michigan and Trumbull, two blocks south of Michigan and Trumbull. So, uh, you know, uh, in a really sleepy little uh, block that's kind of where residential and industrial kind of meet up. You can't miss it. That's and, great. Uh, website? Uh, batchbrewingcompany.com. And then social media. Social media. Facebook is Batch Brewing Company. Uh, Twitter and Instagram are both at Batch Brewing awesome yeah steven thank you for bringing being with us thanks for bringing the beer my pleasure thanks for having me guys cheers best of luck thank you thanks for having me until next time dine well